Okay, so there were no horses in North America at the time that the Book of Mormon was ostensibly taking place. Right? Okay. So, that's plenty of evidence for the average non-Mormon that the Book of Mormon is not true, right? But, um, it's not sufficient evidence from the Mormon perspective because if you've already experienced the truth of your religion like in a lived, felt, experiential way, being told that that it's extremely unlikely that there were horses, that there's zero evidence of horses, that it's like a, a scientific impossibility that there were horses at the time, that is actually not sufficient evidence to overrule your belief, because there could have been horses, we just don't have any evidence of those horses, right? Um, there's a possibility that that could be wrong, if you grant that it's not possible, it's impossible to prove that there weren't horses here. It's possible there were horses, we haven't discovered a single one of their bones, etc. I guess what I'm saying is, when you're on the inside of a religious community, the evidence that is required to disprove your faith is like a pretty high bar relative to what we estimate from the outside. People definitely think like, oh, the Book of Mormon is obviously false because it makes these claims about the world that are like provably false. But we're not realizing that actually that's not provably false. It's almost certainly false. Not, not, not 100%. It's like 99.99. Because there's always the possibility that like, we're getting everything wrong, you know. Now, when things make self-contradictory claims, they become 100% false, which is why um, logic is so powerful. But, but even then, how can you prove that something's self-contradictory? You might run up in, against an argument that it just appears to be. That potentially, it's a paradox, kind of like there's true paradoxes in the concepts of quantum physics, for example, about location of subatomic particles at any given time. So, in other words, one can fall back on the reality that, like, we don't know enough to say that something is certainly false. So, anyway, this makes me think about how, um, from within a religious community, it really can be quite difficult to use, like, evidences to disprove the truth of something when it, the, the reason people believe is not based on evidence, it's based on experienced benefit, like an experience of, this feels true to me. Um, but then those same religions, they tend to talk about themselves sometimes in the context of evidence. Mormons, um, Mormons kind of talk specifically about, read the Book of Mormon, pray, and you'll get a feeling that it's true. That's how you'll know. So they're actually sort of like right there at the edge of it saying, no, it's just about how you feel. Um, but, like, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are interesting because they very much preach that, like, if you read the Bible very closely, it reveals to you these, like, very significant evidences of, like, the really clear timelines for the end of the world, things like that, that point to Jesus Christ having taken power in heavens and cleansed the heavens and thrown Satan down to earth in 1914. I know saying that, if you've never heard that before from a Jehovah's Witness, can probably sound a little weird. It's like, what, wait, did you just say 1914? Like, we're not used to seeing such specificity in modern religions, but they do believe that that occurred. And the reason they believe it is because of uh, their 
um, mathematical interpretation of uh, some of the visions in um, Daniel, some of the dreams recorded in the in the Hebrew book of Daniel. Um, so, in the same way that like horses weren't in North America during the time of the Book of Mormon, the book of Daniel is not talking about uh, the book of Daniel. There's this this dream that talks about uh, like four um, or five. See, it only talks about four. There's this dream that talks about four kingdoms. Um, and it was interesting. When we were studying it together a couple days ago, me and a Jehovah's Witness, um, he accidentally was talking about the fifth kingdom that they claim to read into the ending, saying there's a fifth kingdom. when there's, But it kind of doesn't say that. It's like the first kingdom is this, the second is that, the third is that, the fourth is that. And then it says more about the fourth. It says it's, and it's got a mixture of clay and, um, or it says like this kingdom is a mixture of clay and iron. And so they're like, that's the fifth one they're talking about now. But actually, if you look at the pattern of the story, it's really clear. There's like the first, the second, the third, the fourth, and it's got a mixture of clay and iron. They're, it's still talking about the fourth. Okay. My reason for bringing this up is that like, when you actually look at, um, what the dream of Daniel in the book of Daniel, the dream of the king, says, is it says that Babylon is going to fall to um, another kingdom, and that kingdom is going to fall to another kingdom, which will fall to another kingdom. And then God will bring his kingdom to rule forever, and it will never be replaced. Okay, well... The Jehovah's Witnesses interpret it to, they add um, two extra kingdoms here. Because what they say is that, like, the first kingdom is Babylon, like described. The second is the Medes and the Persians mixed together, which is, which doesn't make any sense. That's nonsensical because um, the writer was obviously referring to the Medes and then the Persians as the second and the third. And then the Greek as the fourth was the one that they're referring to. Um, the Witnesses say the First is Babylon, the second is the Medes slash Persians, the third is the Greek, the fourth is the Roman, and then this fifth that they've added that really isn't referenced is the, like, like Anglo-American empire. Um, which is a really odd way of thinking this through, but the point is that, um, that uh, like, that's like saying that Israel was under Roman rule until 19, until World War One, which... I don't know. Anyway, um, the fact is that the, the prophecy doesn't line up at all with reality, but it lines with, or their, their, their version of it doesn't line up with reality. But Daniel itself lines up really well with the events going on in the community of Israel at about like a couple hundred years BCE. And that's why it references again and again it, it's saying Daniel, the story of Daniel happened in like 500 BCE. Um, but it's written 300 years later. But see, the witnesses believe, I guess, it was written at the exact same time it was happening, which is just, like, not true. These these books showed up on the scene, like, 180 years BCE, and they were written in a time when the Hebrews were being oppressed by uh, a specific guy named, like, Antioch, I think is the name, who was, like, a local king. Um, and 
it was after the death of Alexander the Great when, just like it says in the dream, there was like this mixing of iron and clay. They were trying, they were trying to bring these two the kingdoms back together, and it was kind of failing. And um, so they were, he was very specifically talking, like they were writing, uh, pretending they were writing a, a vision of the future for Daniel, but they were writing it 300 years in the future, so they are actually describing the past, the fall of Babylon, the rise of the Medes, the speedy rise of the Persians as represented by a jaguar in the dream. Um, the incredibly brutal rise of Alexander the Great, which was stronger than anything they'd ever seen. The um, later, like, dividing of that kingdom, clay and iron, and the inability to kind of bring it back together after Alexander died, which is what they were dealing with. And in another dream in Daniel, um, there's these ten kings that rise, and then and then there's a usurper that comes up through those ten, the smaller horn, um, and that's this Antioch character. Um, so, in all of these visions, the, what the writer of Daniel is saying is that there was a vision 300 years ago that prophesied that the Medes and the Persians and the, and the Gre- Greeks would take over and do all this, but then God would build a kingdom never to be replaced, and telling themselves... It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. This is 200 years BCE. An apocalyptic writing is claiming it's coming right now, it's coming right now. That's what the book of Daniel says. They were, if, 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 since, since it hasn't come yet, so far the clock is ticking. They're wrong by 2,200 years. So far. Okay. So, I know that, like, to atheists and stuff, like, none of this matters. But it's so interesting to realize how, like, the very clear evidence that Daniel is talking about this, that the book of Daniel is talking about events of about 180 BCE, that it's like very specifically written for that time period, in that time period, looking at the last history of 300 years and describing the rise and fall of these, these empires and, and describing them in the book as if they're visions of the future. Just like if I were to write a fictional piece that said like, you know, this... It was a dream that someone had 300 years ago, and then the, this was going to happen, and then in 1776, this was going to happen, and then, and then the Civil War was going to happen, and then the president would be assassinated, and then in, like, none of that's miraculous for me to be able to do that right now. Like, that's because it's the, it's the past, you know. So these aren't prophecies, it's history. And that's why they're so specific and correct up to the point when they were written, and so incorrect in the future. The extent to which this is the reality of the Bible, whether it's Isaiah, which was part of it written, you know, like talking about Cyrus the Great in Isaiah's, because it's written after the time of Cyrus. Like, you know, like the extent to which that's the reality is, is so enormous that it's like very difficult for me sometimes to understand why it doesn't tear away someone's faith to just know that or to, like, look it up and see that, you know? Um, to be like, oh, the entirety of the Bible, they were always waiting for God's kingdom. They were always waiting for the deliverance of the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites, whatever, whatever, whatever you know, they are always waiting for that. And then Christ came and was, like, the m- Messiah for a small group of people who became the Christians, and they're like, oh, it was more of a spiritual awakening than a, than a military one. And he had this really, and then he got crucified, so game over. Wait, no, he got resurrected, you know. We saw, a bunch of people saw him, you know. I didn't see him, but 500 other people did. 
says Paul, you know, um, I saw him in a dream and like all these, you know, it's just like, and then, and then like, and he's coming back and he's coming back and he's coming back. Well, I was looking in the book of, I think it was, uh, first John, uh, I'll have to look it up, but I marked it, but it was, there's a verse in like first John six or something where it says young people like pay attention, just like it said in the last days, there'll be lots of like, we know we're in the last days right now because look how many antichrists there are. Was it not said that there'd be all these antichrists in the last days? So we can know for sure that we're in the last days. That was written 2,000 fucking years ago. They were certain that they were in the last days because look how bad the world is. Look at all the antichrists, just like prophecy. And I listened to the Jehovah's Witnesses today talk about this and they're like, is it ever been more obvious that we're at the time of the end, that we're at the end of this system, that this is the very end? Look at all the prophecies that are all coming true right now. And I'm just like, are we all really this dumb? I'm sorry, but it's dumb. That's dumb. I'm sorry. So anyway, um, but okay, what I actually wanted to say is that's, that's not actually really true. It's not actually dumb because when you have an experiential belief, when you, when you feel it is true because you've lived it and it's worked for you and you've felt God communicating with you and you've felt close to God and, you know, like for the witnesses, they have a close, like they can feel when they're in tune spiritually and their, their relationship with Jehovah is increasing and they like, they love this God and they are, they, they love his attributes and his character and and they're real it's a very beautiful you know like the study of jehovah i think is is impressive like i'm very it's a very wonderful god it's helped me understand the old testament better because i used to think of the old testament god as just this kind of violent god and i don't think of that anymore i think of a very i think of a god marked by power and wisdom and some restraint and some and a lot of love so you know i get i get it and when you find out that there's no, you know, the scientists say there's no horses in the Americas during the time of the Book of Mormon, or you find out that, like, you know, a reasonable study of uh, Daniel will show you that it was written in 180 BCE, and it's not talking about the Anglo-American Empire or even the Roman Empire. It's only going up through the Greek Empire. Um, and then it's predicting that the end will come right now, or the kingdom that will be cut out of the mountain and set up forever will come right now in 180 BCE to save us from this Antioch guy, this horn that came up through the other ten horns. Well, it doesn't matter. It's not enough. It's not enough to tear down experiential faith. So, anyway, I, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really fascinated by how, I, I just, I just spent time today with some really smart, funny, lovable, Jehovah's Witnesses, people who I really, really like. And I don't know how to reconcile that they're so wrong about this when I wish they could be right because, like, they, I want rightness for them. (laughs) But, like, I realize that, uh, these little details of, like, are not what faith and belief is really built on. It's not actually built on those things. Um, I said to one of my Jehovah's Witness friends, like, look, you're going to be, like, on your deathbed, and Armageddon's still not going to have come. And she was like, I couldn't care less about that. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I won't be thinking at all that that matters. Now, I think that's a little disingenuous, because the truth is, 
that a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses think that the end is coming really soon. Very often, actually, it's referenced that the old people in the congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses are like, yeah, they're all a little surprised that the end hasn't come yet. So that's often referenced. And so I think it's a little disingenuous for my friend to say that she wouldn't care. Um, I think she's like very stubbornly committed to her faith in spite of, uh, you know, whatever evidence against it. She's committed to it all in and that's, that's her deal. That's her choice, whatever. But like, um, I think it's also an important point to make that like, it doesn't matter. None of the evidence matters. Um, and so I guess I don't understand why some people are like that and others aren't because it's not just like certain types of people are like that. Because, like, I study a lot of personality typology. I've met uh, INTPs. I've never met any other ENTPs that I can tell. But I've met INTPs, ESTPs, definitely a lot of, like, um, a lot of the people are just, like, ISFJs, ESFJs, and not, not and, and then no one is highly educated in my area. But they're all intelligent people quite intelligent. I've met ENFJs, a few ENFJs, an INFP, um, a couple INFPs, and a few INFJs. Some of the, like, most intelligent types of people that I know are among those types. The only thing, yeah, the only one missing, I think, is ENTP, and I, and maybe that's it. Maybe at the end of the day, the ENTP cannot survive it. And the INTP that I'm saying is an INTP, I don't even know for sure, but he's, like, a leader. He's, like, a regional leader, and, um, and I think it's possible that some of the leadership is a little more, has a different perspective. Although, he's also uneducated. Like, as I talked to him, it became clear to me that, like, you know, he he doesn't know anything about science. Um, and so, if science is just, like, false, then that doesn't matter. But if science is a really important way of thinking about how things happen, then that does matter. That's gonna That means that he's not going to know how to think that well. But, uh... I just don't understand how, why is it all these types of people, like in Mormonism, I know all kinds of, I, I was Mormon for a long time, so I know all kinds of intelligent people in Mormonism. So what is, what's the deal? Like, wh- why, how do people, oh, oh and I have, a, I have ENTP friends that are born-again Christians. I know an ENTP who believes the Bible, he's like, chooses to believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Um, he's a very smart guy. So, So what is it? You know, like, what is it at the end of the day? What are we doing? Are we just believing and then using these objects to justify belief? Or, we're, I, like, fundamentally, does he believe in God and he just uses the Bible as a tool to point at God? How can, how can people be like this? I just, I just, the reason I feel like I say it that way is because I've tried so fucking hard to understand this stuff from people's perspectives, and I can't. And I'm, it, it forces me to be like, wh- are they stupid? Am I broken? Like, what is it? It's so weird. I don't get it. Anyway. I don't know. My INTJ friend doesn't have this problem. She's just like, well, it's all probably a little too dumb for me to even think about. Like, I just, I don't know. Some people just want to believe whatever they want to believe. Who cares? But, like, I want to understand why people are the way they are. Um... And like I said earlier, I probably like have a preference for a world that has truth in it or people that are religious or maybe, well, I talked about how I have like almost a religious, like a religion 
tool that I use to get to know people, but maybe I also just like want there to be some bigger truth. But maybe that just has to do with the fact that like I feel tertiary extroverted feeling concerns about what people think of me and I'm sick of maybe it just comes from being in a seven year relationship with someone who acted like I was bad for being an atheist. That could have been an impact on me, maybe. Anyway.